passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. As if they don't have too much on their plates. The Kings of Combat Sports Podcast, John and Wade. They talk about the things they did that day. They'll analyze the work of Vince and Triple H. Rwanda Smackdown. Rwanda Smackdown. Rwanda Smackdown. Rwanda Smackdown. Welcome to the Rewind to Smackdown reunion. I'm John Pollock along with Wei Ting. How are you tonight, Wei? Doing well. Yeah. Um, man, last night at the hotel bar, uh, it was crazy. Got in the elevator. Saw. I don't know. I'm sorry. Don't want to take this any further. Uh, Mark Henry was on his. Uh, on uh, his busted open radio show on Tuesday and was indicating that Austin and Ric Flair just sounds like they had quite the party all night long. And it was, well, I don't know. Imagine. I don't know if we needed Mark Henry to kind of indicate that. that. I mean, it seemed like Austin was indicating that on his own in his promo. Well, I, I, I couldn't tell. I thought he I don't know if Mark Henry was talking about the night before or talking about last night after Raw. It may have been both, for all we know. Wouldn't surprise me if it was a multiple night party. Well, there, there you go. Well, we have a a packed show as always to get into. Uh, No time for uh, pleasantries. We have to dive right into things. No, it's only time for unpleasantries. Unpleasantries. Um, We're going to insult one another. Was there anything uh, remarkable today that happened in your life? Um, I saw a great movie called The Farewell, which I highly encourage everybody to check out if it's available in your area. Um, and Is this that, a wide release? No, it's a limited release, but uh, I think um, it's like if it performs well on limited release, they will they might release it wide. So if you get a chance in your area, check it out. Uh, I also got a haircut. Oh, okay. So what, what kind of haircut do you go in? At? What, what do you ask for? What is your haircut of choice? I actually have like... so. Man, haircuts with me are incredibly difficult because um, I always go to this place uh, where they have, um, I guess, like pe- like students on, on or people like on visas or something like from like Japan or I guess Korea um, and they cut my hair. But inevitably, like after a year or so, they always go back. They always leave. So it takes me forever to find somebody I like 
And then once I do find somebody I like, they immediately go. So I'm always like every couple of years, I have to kind of like search and, and it's, it's a terrible process. So I, it's a big, when I moved downtown, when I was in university, it was one of the biggest adjustments I had to make going to a brand new barber. I mean, you just, it's something that you just don't really want to take chances on or you end up like Davey. <laughs> exactly. Although I feel like with Davey, like, didn't, was that a new haircutter? I don't know. I don't know if his hair like his hair is totally fine. I think he's he's exaggerating it a, a little. Um, if you want to see it in person, well, too late. <laughs> too late because we'll, the up we'll next to that up next tailgate uh, party is sold out. So yeah, more on that later. But um, yeah, I I actually you know I I knew that this would happen again. So the last time I got a haircut I liked, I took a photo of myself from multiple angles. And <laughs> what do you go in with your phone and you show them from all different angles Dude, what you want? Yes. Oh, you think man. you think this you think this is this is a uh, the only way, John. There was only one way, and it was this. Um, I love this. <laughs> so yeah, like I got to show this person. Hey, can I? Can you cut my hair exactly like it looks like in this picture? And they usually get it from that point on. So I, I found somebody that I've uh, really enjoyed for the past four months now, hoping to keep that relationship going. Do you want to guess the last time I went to a barber? Uh, you, you've had the, the, the kind of shaved look for years now. So I'm guessing, has it been 10 years? Hasn't been 10. Seven. Uh, yes. Seven years. Wow. April, April, 2012 is the last time I went to get my hair done, uh, to got my hair cut. Do you miss like the, no, the, the hair, the, the hair washing? That part's awesome. I never got my hair washed ever. Oh. I never got that. And it was never an option that was even given to me. And I felt kind of rude asking for it. I guess I should have. Uh, but I was never, I, I never got my hair washed. Guess it depends just on cut the, it. guess it depends on the place that you go to. But um, yeah, I guess you could always go and ask for like a scalp massage if you really wanted to. Do you ever get uh, like the, the, do they ever like uh, give you like a shave? Do you get that done there? No, no. Like this is not a place that does all that. I've never had like a professional shave before. You and I should go, and we can do the scene from Rounders. Um, yeah, I haven't seen it, so y'all... I'll... You've never seen Rounders? Yeah, I knew you were going to give me that reaction. Oh, wow. Please, come on. Of all movies? Among... Uh, maybe Gun to My Head may, might be my favorite movie of all time. Well, maybe after we're done uh, our MCU reviews in 2035, we can move on to Rounders. Well. Wow. Like Matt Damon, uh, every Monday and Tuesday night, I, I sat across from the best in the world, and that was Wei Ting. The, the Johnny Chan to my Matt Damon. Is, is there an actual guy named Johnny Chan? Are you just... He's a real, he's a legit poker player. And hearing me to the other featured... Asian in the movie? No, he's the main guy. It's like whatever nationality he was, I was going to compare it to you because you're my counterpart that I'm speaking of Why well, right can't I be Matt Damon? You can be my worm, but that would be well, a bit well, of an insult. I, I don't think you'd want to be worm. Why can't I be Matt Damon? Uh, sure, you can be Matt Damon. I'll be Johnny Chan, okay? Good. Okay? Pay him his fucking money. I love these because you don't know any of them. (laughs) This is like, it's the best movie. It was, I think I've told this story before, but when I worked at Silver City, you had to put your name on your name tag. You had to have the name of a movie. And that was my movie. John Pollock, Rounders. Wow. It was part of of your name. Damn. 
I saw it in the theater when I was in grade nine, and I fucking loved this movie. Then when I, I got pay-per-view, it was one of the few movies I ordered it on pay-per-view just so I could tape it on a VHS, and I watched the hell out of that. And then a couple of weeks ago when I was away that weekend uh, with my friends at a cottage, we watched that movie, and I knew it's the one movie I could do probably 75% of the dialogue. Well, uh, I think now I finally know, you know, for all the people that might someday encounter John Pollock on the street and worry, especially if he has headphones on, that he does not want to be bothered. I know the in now, and it is some quote from Rounders, because John Pollock clearly, like, That's loves it. talking about Rounders. So even with headphones in, this is, I think, how you get the man's attention. You had a recent yeah. encounter this week, didn't you? <laughs> I did. You? I, met, I met a very nice gentleman on uh, King Street. I think I was on King Street last week, and I was uh, I was meeting up with our friend Mike Bond, and a guy came up, and he just said, you know, big fan of the podcast, and then he apologized because he knew I had my headphones on, and I felt awful. I was like, no, 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 I don't care at all. Thank you so much. And yes, I uh, I, I think I put up a very I, – I've put up a wall. I think people are uh, – I'm glad when people come up to me. It's it's if someone comes up to me that really – like if if you're a podcast listener – you get through the wall. I'm not lying that there is there's a wall I, I place around me. But if it's a stranger coming up to me and is just forcing me to take my headphones out for a conversation I do not want to enter, that's when I, I get my guard up and I, I just that drives me nuts. But listeners, the bridge is is right there. But if you're a pod if you and if you're a podcast listener who happens to know one or two lines from rounders Oh yeah! Oh please! You're, you're, give, me you're, your, give me your best, John Malkovich. You got a seat at the head table in John Pollock's home. Forget the wall. Yeah, we'll uh, we'll have we'll have some Oreos. I want you to watch Rounders mm. before the end of the summer. I think that's your after G one. You got to watch Rounders. Maybe maybe got you it. and I should do a uh, we we can stop on stomp on uh, Davy and Braden's territory. We could we could do a movie review of Rounders, or maybe I'll do one with them. That'd be fun. You should join us. It's a great idea. Yeah, let's the to. four of us. We'll we'll watch rounders and that talk sounds, about it. Sounds fun. Okay, uh, we'll do a we round table. Some... Rounders round table. Oh, rounders round table. Yeah, <laughs> I love this. This is the best idea. And then we can all go play. You'll want to play poker afterwards. I guarantee it. I I I like playing poker anyway. Okay. Are you good? I, I'm not good at all. You Johnny uh, Chan I, good? I'm definitely not Johnny Chan good. No, no. World Series of Poker and me have never crossed paths. I think this is a future live event, John. Just the poker game between all the post wrestling people and a rounders round table. Well, let's let's quickly go over our live events. Uh, let's start there, and then we are going to give away uh, our big prize pack, and then we'll uh, go over some shows this week. But SummerSlam weekend, folks, don't be hesitating because man, the it turns out the real draws at post wrestling, not myself and way. It is Braden and Davey. They have sold out their up next tailgate party, which is great news because it's one less thing that we have to promote going on SummerSlam weekend. So if you've got tickets, congratulations. You're going to be able to hang out with them at Wide Open on the Saturday right before takeover uh, here in Toronto. Did we the get our tickets, John? No, I, I don't know if we're shut out. I, I mean, think we're shut out. I'm going to have to flex some muscle maybe, and maybe I don't know what scholars. that's going to get. What's the scalper yeah. market for the? Oh man, I'm gonna go on StubHub and see what the what the resale value is. I mean, it's gonna be tougher to get into this than all out or something. On Saturday, uh, it's the tailgate. Sunday, it is post wrestling live in Toronto 
at the John Candy Box Theater in Second City, downtown Toronto, which apparently is going to be open for quite some time. So for anyone that is planning a vacation around Toronto and coming to Second City, uh, you have lots of time. A year. Uh, about uh, a year. year. A year. So plan November 2020 is when they officially close. Correct. Uh, so we just got our update. There are 15 tickets remaining to post-wrestling live in Toronto, which is a tremendous statistic. Uh, so I think this thing will be full by by the time August the 11th rolls around. So if you want to get tickets, uh, I do advise, uh, do it quickly. Postwrestling.com slash live. Tickets are available for $25. If you are a member of the Post Wrestling Cafe, you get a discount, and they are only $20. And that comes with... Our live Q&A recording that we'll be doing, taking listener questions live, and a meet and greet that will immediately follow the Q&A portion. Yes, thank you everybody who's who've already purchased your tickets. Uh, look forward to meeting all of you. And then on Monday night, it is post-wrestling, one night only, it is the return to O'Grady's. Uh, we are going to be there for a live screening of Raw at 171 College Street at McCall, uh, right by... Uh, What's the closest subway there? Queens Park? Um, Osgood. Uh, no, no. It's, um, it's. I think it's Queens, Queens Park. Park. The Queens closest. Park, you're yeah. right. Yeah. Queens Park. It's, it's a two minute walk from the subway. So it's very accessible by public transportation. So uh, sh- come on down. It is a place that we used to watch Raw every single Monday night when we were with the law. So uh, we have not done this in over a decade. So it should be a lot of fun. And I don't know if we've done it since the three hour era. No, we have not. No. Um, so this is going to be a nostalgic night. And I am going to be there. Brayden and Davey are going to be there. WH Park will be there. Mike Murray and I believe Wei Ting himself will be appearing as well. I'm official. I officially clicked going on the Facebook invite. You were you were on the fence. I really felt proud of my hard sell last night because right after the show, you uh, went from interested to going. <laughs> so, uh, man, my promo skills clearly worked on somebody. Well, I mean, I noticed you made me a moderator uh, on the board, and I, I felt bad if I wasn't um, going even as a moderator. However, I will say that I think your moderation, your administration uh, privilege seems to be pending. So you have yet to – I feel like I'm more involved in this than you are at this point. Oh, I don't I'm even know fi- how all that stuff I'm works. I'm an official admin in the Facebook page. Well, I, I, I appointed you, so you have you have accepted the reins. Um, so come on down. We are going to have a uh, fun time watching Raw, and then you and I are going to have to do a podcast afterwards. Yeah, we'll have to go back home to do that one. We won't be broadcasting uh, Rewind to Raw live. No, no, we will not be doing that, but we'll be hanging out that night, chilling out with everybody and watching Raw, uh, which will be taking place 20 minutes from there, but it's going to be way more fun to be watching it in a bar with other fans of post-wrestling. Uh, so check that out, SummerSlam weekend. Now... Uh, let us give away our prize pack, way. Let's. Every week, we give away a post-wrestling prize pack. If you're a member of the Post-Wrestling Cafe, you're eligible each week uh, to win said prize pack. So, way is going to dig into the names, and uh, we put this off for one night. So, way is spinning the tumbler as we speak. Uh, there are just so many names in it, all of them craving a post-wrestling prize pack. And what does this prize pack consist of, way? A post-wrestling t-shirt. Stickers, a signed postcard from yours truly and John Pollock, and the very coveted post-wrestling coffee sleeves. And our winner is, I'm hoping it is a very difficult to pronounce name for Wei, 
And our winner is... Congratulations to... Josh... Oh, this... Oh, sorry. He's uh, declined. (laughs) (laughs) Cult Culture is our winner. Oh, he's got a real name. He's got a real name. Gerardo. Gerardo from Wilmington, California. Congratulations. Wilmington, California. You win a post-wrestling prize pack. Wilmington, where is this? I'm going to look up your address right now, Josh. Okay, anyway, I'll, I'll, I'll do that off here. All right, well, congratulations. Uh, you are the winner of the post-wrestling prize pack. And uh, we'll quickly go through what's coming up this week. Um, our G1 shows will resume on Wednesday. Uh, we're going to be doing G1 shows Wednesday, Saturday, and Sunday. And Wednesday, it's a special free edition of the G1 Climax Review going through night number eight from Hiroshima, which is headlined by Tomohiro Ishii versus Tetsuya Naito. So this is a rare, uh, free edition of our G1 Climax review. So you can check that out uh, Wednesday evening on the site. Yeah, yeah, a great chance for people to maybe peek into what we've been talking about this whole time. Uh, The G1 thus far is seven days in, uh, and it's been amazing. So um, a great time to jump back on. And then if you're a member of the cafe, you'll be getting G1 shows Saturday and Sunday. If you sign up now, you can go back and catch yourself up on the prior seven G1 shows that we've already put out. Wednesday also features the return of the British Wrestling Experience. It will be Martin Bushby and Benno this week. One of the topics they'll be discussing is the end of Fighting Spirit Magazine, which has been a very influential magazine and a tremendous job that that entire team has I've been doing for years and years. Very sad to see the end of that publication. They'll be talking about that among many topics, including Will Ospreay and Zack Sabre Jr. in the G1, the recent NXT UK tapings, the Royal Quest card that's coming up at the end of August, and lots more. Thursday, we've got Braden and Davey with Up Next going through this week's edition of NXT and probably uh, congratulating themselves on their enormous sellout. Thursday, we've got the Cafe Hangout live at 3 p.m. Eastern Time. This will be following the WWE's second quarter earnings call. So we'll be joined by Brandon Howard and uh, of WrestleNomics, and he will be chatting with us about the quarterly report, the earnings call that I think has a lot of interest uh, coming out of uh, a really big quarter. This is the quarter that featured WrestleMania, that featured their return to Saudi Arabia, and of course, all of the pressure on their television viewership and what the major subjects tackled are from the company so we'll have a big discussion with brandon about that thursday 3 p.m eastern time if you're a double double ice cap or espresso patron friday on rewind away it is a review of new japan uh their card from february 17th 2018 as selected by chris thunder when new japan went to melbourne australia this was when uh, the kenny omega cody feud was in full effect going into wrestlemania that year and we'll be looking at a very different look of New Japan in February of 2018. So that is coming up on Friday. Then into the weekend, we've got Cruel Summer on Saturday with WH Park and Joel Abraham from the Super J-Cast. They'll be chatting about the 2007 final between Yuji Nagata and Hiroshi Tanahashi. Sunday's Cruel Summer has WH and Alan Farrell chatting about the 2008 final. And on Saturday... The Rocky Maivia Picture Show with Nate Milton, joined by Marcus Vanderberg and Mike Mills to review Gridiron Gang, and a UFC 240 post show late Saturday night with myself and Phil Chertok. Oh my god. Exhale. Yeah, uh, and also G1 coverage on the post-wrestling Patreon feeds for Saturday and Sunday as well. So, So, a lot. Check it all out. Listen to every single show. 
and give us your feedback. Uh, one last plug before we move on. 20% off all items in the Post Wrestling store. Store.postwrestling.com if you are a patron of the Post Wrestling Cafe. So no better time than this month to become a member. Get all the G1 content. 20% off in the store, which typically like equals to about $5 off an item. So you're basically joining the feed, getting all this content for a dollar anyway, if you choose to buy something from the store. Uh, we appreciate all the support. All right, let's get into the news, and we're going to start with, I think, maybe the most interesting Raw figure of the year, how the Raw reunion performed. And they did 3,093,000 viewers on the USA Network. And I don't want to toot our own horn way, but I think you and I were, like, right on the button with this. I think we were talking about between 3 and 3.1 million, and that's pretty much exactly where it landed. Yeah, really interesting um, that um, I think we, I guess we were as close with our estimates as we ended up being, you know, um, so this was better than the Raw after WrestleMania, um, but not High, nearly. highest of the year. I, I think this is an interesting number that you can spin any way you want. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's a very good number, but I think it's impossible not to compare it to the 25th anniversary last year, which granted was a much more heavily promoted show, but nonetheless featured, it was the same design show with big returns. And this one had Steve Austin and Hulk Hogan. And the fact that they were down 31% from that show 18 months ago, I think that that tells you that this, this style of show, uh, it meant a whole lot less than the 25th anniversary, even though this was the most watched show and this will be the most watched draw of the year. I can't see anything topping this this year. Yeah, yeah. Uh, to me, this represents the ceiling of what they're capable of, at least in 2018, or sorry, 2019, I mean. Um, I, I guess, you know, the only point of comparison for a big show coming up later on this year would be how they do the SmackDown debut on Fox. Yeah, and I mean, it's just, it's really nuts when you look at the fact, like, from in 2018, okay, they they beat this number. From January 15th until the night after WrestleMania uh, into the Superstar Shakeup, I think there was one week that they were lower than this number. Mm-hmm. And now this is maybe two two weeks out of that entire stretch um, that they were yeah. below. So it, ju- it just tells you, like, this being the ceiling, it's pretty remarkable that here we are in the summer, no football going against us, no competition, Austin's back, Hogan's back. Flair's back, DX, all this stuff, 3,090,000 viewers. Uh, I mean, that that kind of tells you where I don't disagree. Like, that does feel like the ceiling outside of, you know, if you got The Rock and promoted that really, really big. And I think that, you know, there, there's less uh, tricks like this that you can pull out for SmackDown with Dwayne Johnson, to me, representing the biggest one-week blip you can do. But ultimately, if they're going to be raising their audience – it's got to be over a sustained period of doing things that are going to naturally create new fans and not just stunts to bring back lapsed fans for one week. Yeah, certainly, you know, um, and I, I think as the summer progresses into the fall, do you think that they will, um, I guess, make any other attempts at trying to spike numbers the way they did on Monday? How about this question? What can they do to spike these numbers? They've played all of these cards the day after SummerSlam, you would expect something, but um, we've seen like post pay per view numbers not be that you know um, incredible uh, in this quarter. So uh, I'm trying to think beyond that. You know, are we kind of like 
are they just going to perhaps accept this as the ratings trend until Fox? Yeah, I, I think that Thursday, it'll be interesting how much they trumpet this number. And I think you're also dealing with stockholders that I won't say everyone, but I think most should be able to see through this and understand like this was a one week blip and you can't you would hope so. But I don't well, know. it's I, I think the WWE kind of has to cushion this as well, because these same investors and stockholders are then going to be reacting to next week's number that inevitably is going to be way down. Like, there's no way you can maintain this, and I don't think you want to uh, position this as a, a turning the corner kind of week because, it's, great, you get three days of a grace period before Monday's show, and we all know that the number is going to be back down next week. Maybe you get a little bump after this week, but I don't see much. I don't see anything on this show that drove you to come back next Monday. Well, let me ask you, do you think – the average shareholder stockholder of the WWE is paying that close attention to things like ratings on a week to week basis, or do they mainly care about uh, what ratings are, I guess the week before a call like this. And I guess, you know, also what mainstream sources such as that variety article might, might report. Um, Well, that's, that's what I think they're more focused on is that here's this big variety piece and they see the numbers in front of them. And I don't think they're looking week to week and analyzing every number, kind of like what we do, but looking at overall trends because they want to know, are we going into the, these two new television deals on an upward trajectory or is this a company that is greatly declining in popularity? And these numbers, like people wonder, why do you pay so much attention to this? Because we're looking at trends and we're looking at overall Uh, gauges of popularity and the argument well they're making so much money why should you even care well why are they making so much money why is usa and fox spending so much money it's because they believe that that investment is going to reach so many millions of eyeballs and if they are not able to deliver that amount of eyeballs then yes this money may be uh Mm -hmm. it may be guaranteed but it is not in perpetuity forever um, they want to be able to make back this on their investment that they believe this audience is, is worth the money being spent this fall. Well, even if the shareholder isn't the average shareholder isn't paying attention week to week, you can guarantee Fox and USA are um, and how they react coming off of a, a continued decline as they take on this very luc- uh, long, very lucrative deal. Like there's a reason this show happened this week. I mean, obviously, there is pressure to uh, do stunts like this. Um, looking at the show, uh, just in the breakdown, uh, the first hour did 3,019,000 viewers. Uh, then it rose 5.3% in the second hour, which was the most watched hour of the three. And then we had a 3% drop in the final hour down to 3,083,000 viewers. So while there was a small drop, this still destroyed any other, uh, third hour, um, that the company has done, uh, since the superstar shakeup of last year. So the third hour was up significantly, although there was still a bit of a drop or at least a small drop from the second hour with everything building towards that Austin appearance at the end of the show. So listen, I I think it was uh, per 2019 standards, a very good number, but also I think it shows you the, the, the ceiling for these kinds of shows has, has definitely come down when this show did four and a half million viewers 18 months ago. Mm-hmm. And very interesting would be to see next week's number. How much of this brand new audience that might have tuned in for this particular episode did, have they managed to retain? What, what do really you think? Ne- 
Okay, mm-hmm. last week last week did just over 2.4 million viewers. This week was just over 3 million. What do you think next week comes in at? Honestly, like if anybody sat through the show yesterday, I I I really have a hard time thinking anybody would watch that show thinking, "Oh, I'll give it a shot again next week." Because you know that you're not going to get the same show and what you did see of the current roster was really not that good. So, um I'm guessing closer to what we had last week. Um what did you say? 2.4 last week? Last week, 2,453,000 viewers. I'm going to say two and a half million. Yeah. I, I think it's going to be right around there. I mean, they didn't even bother to promote something for next week with that audience. Like nothing like a hook to bring you back next week. Nothing. Uh, it was it was, a, it was as much of a self-contained show as you're going to get. Like there were little things like building up SummerSlam and the Bray Wyatt thing. But I mean, nothing that required you to come back next week and really unfortunate i mean you know like you talked about all night last night this was an opportunity to expose your current roster to a brand new audience and hopefully you know attract them to stick around and i really saw very little attempts at doing that all right um other news uh going on today uh viceland officially announced uh this was reported in the observer last week that uh viceland has picked up Dark Side of the Ring for a second season, and they're increasing uh, the episode order from six to ten. And no, no subjects have been announced yet, no return date, but certainly they were extremely happy with the first season and did very good viewership on Viceland. So I don't think this is a surprise. Uh, were you surprised that they increased the number of episodes to ten? Considering the success and the numbers that that show received compared to, I think... They probably asked for 30. Yeah, a lot of, like, what other uh, programs exist on Vice? No, not at all. Um, I think it'll be really interesting to see if this extension might might go towards um, uh, the wrestlers as well. Um, And, yeah, like, they're jumping on the wrestling bandwagon because clearly it brings ratings. Yeah, and I'm I'm very interested to see if the wrestlers gets renewed as well because that was one that I did not see ratings information for and how it did. Whereas Viceland uh, did get listed each week uh, when the numbers came out, so uh, that would be the next natural question: is how deep Viceland is in regarding wrestling? It seems like they were very happy with the series, and if the wrestlers gets a renewal as well. Uh, what else here? Uh, we've got. A new match for AEW's All Out show. They announced on the Road to All Out special that was released on Tuesday night that it will be a three-way among the partners from uh, Fighter Fest or Fight for the Fallen. We had uh, Joey Janela, Darby Allen, and Jimmy Havoc uh, get backstage after the match, and they all start brawling, and they announced the three-way for Chicago at the end of August. Yeah, simple. I mean... You know, I guess it tells you the reason why they put that match together for a fight for the fallen in the first place. Uh, I think this is certainly the more attractive match compared to that six man. It's a three way between your three hardcore wrestlers of the, the 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 company's roster. So, as an undercard match, it looks great. If you have not seen Road to All Out yet, this second episode, I I've said before, I love this series. I love all the versions that they do. The Road Two series are my favorites right now. The first two and a half minutes is one of the best interviews this year. Sit down interview with Tully Blanchard explaining his alliance with Sean Spears. It is so great. It's one of my favorite interviews this year. And the use of Tully Blanchard uh, was as good as 
any of the use of the legends on Raw Reunion. And I think it's going to have way more value uh, by the end of all of this. Uh, Tully Blanchard cutting promos is just fantastic. And I'm so glad that he is part of these because this was awesome at the start of Road to All Out. I suppose the fact that he was never um, a part of these like WWE or didn't play a large role in the WWE's history kind of prevented him from like having a bigger role on screen throughout like things like this, uh, uh, whatever, um, real raw reunion and things like that. So to see like AEW kind of pay more respects to, I would say, you know, the WCW Jim Crockett promotions era types of stars is a real untapped resource. I think also on this episode, the control center bit, uh, Tony Schiavone was not used on this one, uh, because we did see him in the last one. And then MLW had made the statement that he is under contract to them. And, AEW is going to have to reach out if they want to use him in his place this week was Chris Van Vliet. Yes. So yes. he was uh utilized here and we'll see if he's continuing, if he's going to stay in this role. Yeah. I didn't realize there was a, maybe a, a, a little bit of um I guess dispute as to the rights of Tony Schiavone, but um, well, there you go. It, I thought, I thought Van Vliet from what I did see on, on this road to did a very amicable job. Um, do you, do you find it interesting um, if he continues this role, uh, whether or not it might change his relationship with WWE wrestlers when he interviews them? Um, you know, he's I, I think he's going to continue doing all of the interviews. But, yeah, if he's going to be doing stuff with AEW, I, I can definitely see them uh, handling Chris the same way they did Chris Jericho in that. Okay. You're with AEW, you're not going to get any of our WWE talent and not making them available. Hmm. That's It could very well happen. Yeah. Uh, Jushin Thunder Liger has been announced for the Super J-Cup shows in the U.S. That's no surprise, um, but he will not be part of the actual tournament itself. Uh, these are going to be three shows taking place in Tacoma, Washington, San Francisco, and Long Beach, California. Uh, San Francisco is sold out. Uh, Tacoma, I think, only has like standing balcony seats remaining, and then there there are uh, a bunch of tickets left for Long Beach. But uh, do you think it was uh, a wise move or a not so wise move keeping Liger out of the Super J Cup, where he would obviously be the sentimental favorite? Uh, but do you think that his value is just being on the shows itself? I mean, I'm I'm guessing. Mm. I don't know if he's in a more of a producer role for for the matches or or what, or maybe he doesn't. I think so. like I, he's kind of listed as the producer of the tournament, yeah. and and I don't know if he feels maybe he's not up to the standard of what's expected for a tournament like this. Uh, I think as long as he's on the show, people will be happy. I don't know if many would have picked him to win a tournament like that. It doesn't seem like he's really kind of uh, wanting that type of spotlight, but. Um, it very well may have been his call not to be in the I would tournament. Which, so, honestly, if he's producing it. I can understand it that if he's going to be in the tournament, I think he almost has to go to the finals. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And sure. Yeah, I, I can see that because he's going to be one of, if not the most over guy on these shows. Yes. Because for a, a lot of these fans, this is the last time they will ever get to see him wrestle live. And yeah, for some, some it might be the first time they're seeing him live and the last. Do you know how the so. tournament itself is, is going to work across the shows? Uh, in in what sense? It's like, going to be I mean, like single elimination, right? But I mean, how many how many rounds per show? Like what? 
What is it? Um, I, I, they haven't announced how it's going to be broken up. Like, I'm imagining it's going to be like a 16-man tournament. That's my assumption. Right. Um, okay. Yeah, but they, they're they're going to have to announce, like, these names pretty soon. I mean, we do have a month, but... We still have the um, G1, too. Yeah, there's that little tournament to get through uh, as well. So, and the final note here, uh, UFC 243, they are returning to a stadium in Melbourne, Australia. Uh, the former uh, Etihad Stadium, which is now, wait, you'll love this, it is now Marvel Stadium. I, I've they, heard about this. Yeah. yeah, they got the naming rights. So, this is the stadium where... Holly Holm knocked out Ronda Rousey at UFC 193 and where the WWE did their global warming show or global warning, I should say, show back in 2002. So it's going to be headlined by Robert Whitaker and Israel Adesanya, who are both from New Zealand. Whitaker uh, lives in Australia now, and this will be for the undisputed middleweight title. It should be a phenomenal fight. Uh, Whitaker was my choice for fight of the year in 2018 with Yoel Romero. And Adesanya is my leader for fight of the year this year for his fight with Kelvin Gastelum. So I'm expecting a tremendous fight. This is going to be October the 5th in Melbourne, Australia. And I think they're going to sell this out as well. It'll be interesting to see if they fill it. And I feel pretty confident that they will. When was their last stadium show? It... Sorry, I don't want to put you on the spot. No, 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 no. I'm trying to think. It, I'm curious. I, I'm sure. Like, I mean, they in this place. Well, it they did they did like a thirty thousand seat arena in Sweden that I don't know if you really call a stadium. Right. Uh, since this one, like UFC has not done a whole lot of stadium shows. Like to go back to a traditional one, it might have been in Australia. As I'm thinking about it, I don't think they've done a stadium since then. Hmm. Interesting. Okay. Um. Let me just. I can even pull up something here but uh whoa like here in toronto brazil? like they've never got uh you're right they did brazil that was when uh stipe defeated fabricio verdu yes. they did an outdoor one right. yeah that's right that was may 2016 uh damn you're good <laughs> i i guess i, I have uh, very few talents so in, i gotta exploit them in russia in a uh 2018 they did uh this place called the Olympiski Stadium with a fight night with a Mark Hunt versus uh, Olenek. And, but that drew 22,000. So I guess right depends. More what, like just what, a just stadium right. name, I guess. It, it's interesting that they've never they've never even flirted with the idea of going to Rogers Center again. And I think that like for all the for all the chances that Dana White sometimes takes, I think when it comes to booking stadiums, I think he's ultra conservative. And mm -hmm. I'm not saying he's necessarily wrong, but when they did that first Rogers Center show, I mean, the demand was unbelievable. Um, yeah, I think I think you you know if you're the UFC, you might have to consider price per ticket as well. It's it's usually considerably higher than what's you know say WWE would be. And yeah. can you charge that much for a stadium type of show? Yeah, I think they. They very much believe, like, if we have the right fight, we would consider it for a stadium. But they also, like, for a lot of their Las Vegas shows, I mean, they just make so much money to run them in Las Vegas, more so than doing a stadium, that you're going to do things like that. But uh, I like this idea, especially for Adesanya and Whitaker that are going to have, I mean, having two guys that are from New Zealand, one that actually lives in Australia. I think this is going to feel like a really, really big fight. And quality-wise, I think it could be one of the best fights of the year. Uh, so that is all your news items. You can go check out postwrestling.com for all the latest. Uh, it's been a very busy couple of days. 
And that takes us into SmackDown, which took place from Miami, Florida, at the American Airlines Arena on Tuesday night. And off the top, we had Tom Phillips and David Otunga on commentary, with Big E and Xavier Woods dancing on the desk. And Phillips mentions that Shawn Michaels was supposed to be on commentary, which they were promoting throughout the day and last week. And now he's on Ms. TV. Yeah, no real explanation as to why. Um, coming, they, they clearly came up with this angle, and I, I think it, they just didn't want to have Sean doing both. I guess so, but you know, starting the start of SmackDown was like all sorts of confusing because why was David Otunga here? And it was it wasn't until later that they mentioned Byron was missing the show due to the uh, unfortunate passing of his father earlier this week. Yeah, we, which he did put up uh, a note about, so I think people were aware ahead of time Byron wouldn't be on the show, but. Uh, evidently, Corey Graves had tonight off as well, which they, I guess, Michaels was going to take his spot. And then with both of them gone, uh, the first hour featured Tom Phillips with David Otunga, Big E, and Xavier Woods. And then in the second hour, it was Phillips, Otunga, and Michael Cole came out. And listen, Xavier Woods and Big E are entertaining. I I couldn't have done two hours of these two on commentary. Yeah, yeah. I enjoyed them for the time that they were on, but I think if it was... A whole show thing. First of all, I don't think they have they they themselves would have the energy level to keep that up, uh, and I don't know if the audience would necessarily enjoy that much of the new day either. Shane McMahon started the show. He came out, got quite a bit of heat, and a CM Punk chant began. And Shane, to his credit, just powered through this thing, and they gave up pretty quickly on the CM Punk chant. It's just plow through it. Yeah, if you acknowledge it, it'll only get louder. He is happy that he did not have to see Kevin Owens at the Raw reunion and said Kevin Owens was hiding behind social media and recaps Owens challenge. Uh, He posted this video challenging Shane to a match at SummerSlam and said that if he doesn't beat Shane at SummerSlam, he will quit. And Shane says it wouldn't be SummerSlam, quote, without the best of the world competing on it. Well, I guess he means him and... The other wrestlers who you might consider the best. Okay. I don't know. Shane accepts the challenge and notes how Owens has stated he would quit if he loses. The crowd started chanting, you can't wrestle. And he just says under his breath, ask Roman Reigns about that, which was a pretty good line to come back with. And then Shane dug into the archive and aired a clip of Kevin Owens from August 27th of last year. At the Scotiabank Arena in Toronto, which is where SummerSlam is taking place, of Kevin Owens losing a match to Seth Rollins and then announcing that he has quit. Way I I believe, Shane, that this happened. I saw the video of this. I have no memory of this at all, nor how Owens came back after quitting. But I guess this happened. I feel like he just came back the, the, the week after. Like the dude it has couldn't had, have been long because I I seriously I do not remember this. The man has had like fifteen starts and stops in between the the span of that period and and now turning babyface, turning heel, quitting, coming back. Like him and Dolph, you could really kind of interchange. I'm literally because uh, I save all my notes and I have pulled up our recap from that night. Okay, and yes, I don't really have much to lead here other than. Uh, okay, he loses the match to Seth Rollins. I wrote, awesome match. Baron Corbin was in his office on his phone, and then after the break, 
Owens is sitting on a chair in the middle of the ring. The crowd's chanting Kevin Owens. He announces he quits and leaves. So I'm sorry. I cannot, I cannot uh, provide much more context to that. Uh, although that what followed it was a Scott Dawson tweet apologizing to Jim Cornette and the Midnight Express for what the B team has done to tag team wrestling. So it seemed like quite the episode. Well, only a year ago. Yeah, a year ago. So anyway, he brings this up to add that he doesn't take Kevin Owens' word. He wants it in writing that Owens will quit if he loses. So Owens comes out. He gets a really great reaction. He says that that was him at the lowest point of his career last year. He was a broken down version of himself who didn't want to piss anyone off. And that is not who he is today. Now he is chasing glory. And he will not quit this time. Threatens Did you to say beat Jason up Jason Glory. Yes, that was a joke. He didn't really oh. say that part. Uh, he will not quit this time, and he threatens to beat up Shane. And Shane says he will take the match away if Owens lays a hand on him. So instead, Shane makes a match between Kevin Owens and Roman Reigns for later tonight. So another match added to SummerSlam, the match we were all expecting, although not a stipulation where it's loser leaves town. It's Owens will leave if he loses. No stipulation attached to Shane. That is kind of where I thought this was going, that Shane would disappear after losing this. Yeah. Um, Which they could possibly add and, and do uh, with the contract signing. But for Kevin Owens, like, what, the, what does that entail? And, and could anybody buy into it? Like, what is, his, what is Owens quitting actually mean? Well, he could quit SmackDown. He's going to AEW? SmackDown? What do you mean? You've got the wild card rule. Like, there's no such thing as Raw or SmackDown anymore. Maybe he will be relegated to main event. Well, then you should make that the stipulation. He got, he has to be sent to 205 Live. How about that? I mean, I just don't think it's a stipulation that means anything anymore. You know what the stipulation should be? He can never wrestle on pay-per-view again. He has got to call every pay-per-view with Raymond Rougeau on the French commentary. Oh, wow. I'll watch that. I'd want to learn French. Just I, I'd have to brush up on my French. That, no, that would I, probably be an entertaining broadcast. I think you should put him on the Japanese team with Funaki. Oh, that that would be fun as well. Yes. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, Owens in this segment and, and later on in the show really continues to be pushed as the show's lead babyface here with uh, others in Roman Reigns and Kofi Kingston all kind of taking a, a clear back seat. Oh, Owens feels the hottest of those three at the moment. I don't think it's even close. He's the getting moment. the most focus for sure. Shane is in the back, and he hangs out with his dudes, Elias and Drew. Drew compliments him on lugging around his big brain. <laughs> what the hell was this line? It's Drew and Elias clearly sucking up to Shane, and I I actually quite like it. I like the way that, you know, even uh, last week on that town hall, how all the heels were praising Shane for, like, exaggeratingly praising Shane. Uh, but in the case of like Elias and, and Drew, I think you're just waiting for the moment when Shane finally loses power that like Elias and Drew leave him. I wonder if that'll come because this is Shane McMahon, um, but they're kind of setting up for that. Shane names Drew the special referee for the main event between Reigns and Owens. Elias will be the timekeeper and Shane is going to be the special guest ring announcer. Shinsuke Nakamura versus Apollo Crews. Uh, this featured uh, Biggie and Xavier Woods just going nuts for Apollo Crews. And to their credit, like 
dated more for Apollo Crews than Apollo has gotten from most. So absolutely, I, I can't completely complain here. Like they put everything over by Apollo as like this unbelievable athlete, and I, I thought they did. Uh, they could be annoying, but they were really helpful for Apollo here. I didn't think they were like you know over the top as obnoxious as they might be if they were doing kind of their own desk uh, type of thing when they were cutting back and forth between like the real feed and their feed. Here, I f- I felt like they were kind of like. Uh, reigning back a little bit because you still had uh, Tom Phillips here. You had uh, David Otunga as well. And I I kind of thought that their role here was really just to put over Apollo Crews with some very genuine energy that feels like you're watching these impressive moves with some friends. Uh, this was really a showcase for Apollo. He hit this long, delayed vertical suplex, uh, hit a moonsault off the apron. They go through a break. Crews did a kip-up. That Woods just lost his mind over. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, It was a bit too much. Nakamura then came back. Inseguri, the sliding German off the middle rope. And then the Kinshasa gets stopped with an Inseguri. And Cruz hits an Olympic slam for a big near fall. Nakamura goes for another one. Uh, he's popped up into the air. Misses the sh- standing shooting star. And Nakamura capitalizes, hitting the Kinshasa to get the win. And then Nakamura continues attacking him afterwards with kicks. And another Kinshasa coming down the ramp. Yeah, uh, as Woods screams, where are your friends? So I'm guessing Woods and Biggie aren't this man's friends because they were sitting no. right there. Maybe they had a professional obligation that they had to remain unbiased as broadcasters, <laughs> even though their commentary would reflect a very one-sided nature. But yeah, yeah, no friends for Apollo. I thought in terms of energy, this whole segment felt really solid by the end. I think helped by the the fact that there was no commercial break uh, or simply a picture-in-picture commercial break, so action continued throughout the the, the break. Um, there was oh, th- there was one break in this. It was a picture-in-picture break, though. Right, right, okay. Yeah, so action continued in the arena, and gotcha. I actually I think New Day's enthusiasm on commentary really contributed a lot to making it Apollo seem like a bigger deal than usual. Uh, unfortunately, he had to take the loss here. Um, but it, it, does this scream to you that this this feud will continue? And what happens to Ali, the person who was originally teased to take on Shinsuke Nakamura? Yeah, we'll, we'll get to Ali's promo later on. But this certainly felt, I think, that they could at least get one more TV match out of this. I don't know if this is something that could be sustainable for SummerSlam. Because uh, this was pretty, pretty, a pretty clean loss. Yes. Yeah. But they did continue with the post-match stuff. But they're pushing Nakamura strong. You know, coming off of his return. Yeah, this is the most kind of um, uh, momentum that he's had. I I won't go so far as to say momentum, but he's at least, he's had like a string of good television matches of late. Yeah. Okay, I talked about the Tully Blanchard promo from the Road 2 series. Uh, We go to the other side of the coin. Mandy Rose showed up from behind Sonya Deville and said, guess who? And Sonya said... I can recognize your voice. Rose explains something about going to Shane and somehow they've got a match with the Iconics. So Sonya says, are we getting a tag title shot? And Rose says, yes. And if we win, we are going to deserve a tag team title match. Wait a second. Wait a second. (laughs) It's a way I watched this three times. <laughs> Rose explained she got them a match with the Iconics. DeVille responds, and I have to imagine she screwed up the response and said, 
are you saying we're getting a title shot? And Rose replies, yes. And if we win, we're going to deserve a tag team title match. Listen, I don't blame Sonya Deville because uh, you explained this whole script to me like five times. I don't. I still don't know if I would trust myself to get it on live TV. Um, it's sure. Okay. So her her response should have been, "Are we facing the tag champions?" And Rose says, "Yes." And if we beat the champions, then we will deserve a tag team title match. <laughs> you know, I can't. I can't fathom that this was live. It. I hope it was I think, live. I think because was, how think, could this air if it was not live? I think it was live because even Mandy had a flub at the beginning that they chose to keep in there. So I, I, I feel like this. I, I would believe that this would be more live to, than than taped, but who knows? Um, it's it's the same shit. It's like you know you beat them in a non-title match so that you can get a title match. That's really all you had to say. But what happened to the Kabuki Warriors? Weren't they in the midst of a program? We're moving on. So they had last week their title match basically get thrown out because of the countout. Um, yeah. And this week they're just completely forgotten about. Unless they're all going to end up in some big match at SummerSlam with the entire division of three teams. It's really what Sonya should have said. Are we going did, to get did, a these match? Titles are, these titles yeah. are so useless. Yeah. I'm just... I'm. Th- this division is just such a... I don't know. Just pointless at this point. Ali is in a stairwell and he says he has to rewrite his story. But it's not going to be a sob story about chasing my dream, going from a cop to becoming a star, how my body gave out before my heart did. So he went right into the sob story part. (laughs) He got injured and forgotten and his injury cost him everything, but he refuses to make that his story. He's got the pen in his hands and the paper will read that he will become WWE champion. And if I run out of ink, my blood will finish writing the story. I mean, as always, I think the dude is a cool promo. I thought my problem with this, though, was there was zero mention of his intentions to chase after Shinsuke Nakamura's IC title. And seeing how like that was the thread that they dangled in front of us last week, I... I'm left feeling a little bit confused about where Ali's current direction is. It, it's almost like they they just decided to completely drop that. And instead here, he was cutting what seemed more like a generic promo with his the back, the backstory that we've heard already by now uh, about wanting to someday win the WWE title after losing his opportunity due to injury to Kofi Kingston. So I don't know what's going on with him, but it doesn't appear to me from listening to this that he's going after the IC belt. Yeah, I would say this was the first time I heard an Ali promo that it was right on the verge of going from, like, the inspirational message to kind of whining about his situation. Because you had heard it so many times already. Like, or at Well, least- he, he he starts it by saying, I, I'm not going to make this a sob story. And then he just goes right into all his hardships that have been, like, this injury that screwed up everything for him. And mm-hmm. I, I really hope they don't go that direction. This guy, he's such a likable baby face that they don't have a plethora of no i certainly don't i don't if you felt heal from this i certainly can't believe that that was intentional well i hope not i hope not for his sake but yeah there was no follow-up here with nakamura it's as if that didn't happen last week our second ms tv in as many nights uh ms comes out and he plugs ms and misses and then they recap the raw reunion and he introduces his co-star from the marine six Shawn Michaels, and the highlight of 
Big E, Xavier Woods, and David Otunga on commentary was singing Shawn Michaels' theme as he came down to the ring. Yeah, great. I mean, like their whole act is like you're watching wrestling with like your friends who are really high energy and fun, but I guess if they stay for too long can be maybe a little annoying. Michaels talks about the Raw reunion, and he was once that young guy, tired of the old guys coming back. They had their time, but he said he really enjoyed getting to see everyone on Monday night, and they even inducted Seth Rollins into the Click and DX, and it's been great to watch Seth Rollins go from the PC to NXT into a WWE superstar, which is a career path that I was not aware Seth Rollins went through, given that the PC uh, opened up while this guy was on the main roster. Well, he must have walked in there. Maybe he just made one big trip on one day. He walked into the PC. He, he's worked out there. Yeah. Grabbed lunch, just stepped into NXT, sat, sat down, and then made his way to Raw. Dolph Ziggler interrupted, and he talks about the so-called legends like Michaels limping out here, and Michaels just lets him speak. And Z- Ziggler says he used to idolize Sean. And Sean had the chance to walk into the sunset as the greatest performer of all time. But he keeps shuffling back here. And it's as embarrassing as Goldberg in a wrestling match. Now, this is the second week in a row he has mentioned Goldberg. Obviously, by design. Goldberg versus Ziggler for when? I don't know. But this was not happening just by coincidence. The fact that his name has been brought up now two weeks in a row. Um that, that would not be the match I would be bringing Goldberg back for. But, I mean, that's obviously what they're teasing. Yeah, I mean, if you're Goldberg, I could definitely very much see you wanting him wanting to come back to, you know, write that performance away. Erase the performance from uh, Saudi Arabia last time. And I think having a match against Dolph Ziggler really is a better chance of um, helping you erase that memory than having a match with somebody like The Undertaker. Not to say that that match was even The Undertaker's fault, but... Um, if you're going to trust anybody, I think it would be somebody like Ziggler who can take a very quick loss from Goldberg and not really lose that much. Uh, the only question be- is... Because he's not really at a very high position. Like, this yeah. guy... Like, it's Ziggler. You know what it's I mean? Ziggler, and yeah. He's, Goldberg... He, listen, Goldberg beating this guy in two minutes in the same arena where he beat Brock Lesnar, like, that Toronto crowd will go nuts for Goldberg. So you think this will be SummerSlam, but um, if Ziggler is doing something with The Miz where else could they put this? Listen, if Goldberg's coming back, it's got to be at SummerSlam. Or Fox. Um, I, uh, yeah. Too far away, though. Yeah, for Ziggler, that seems far away uh, if we're talking about October. Um, but it is very subtle, these jabs. You know? Yeah, but well, we're going to see. Like, we have two episodes left. We have two weeks until SummerSlam. So yeah. you really, you really got to solidify this. I said way back that to me, the SummerSlam match should have been Goldberg and Roman Reigns, but it feels like way too late in the game to be putting something of that caliber together. But Roman's got nothing going on right now. Yeah, unless uh, who who's Drew supposed to have? Cedric oh, Alexander. Yeah, that's can't right. be it. Can't be Reigns again. Can't be Reigns again. You're right. Like if anything, tonight it's like Reigns against Elias and Drew. Like that. Sorry, I total check out on that. We shall see. Yeah, nothing's that clear to me right now. Do you think I'm reading too much into this? Like this Goldberg mentioned Not the fact all. it's twice in a row. Not I at think all. that I think that it's obvious now that they're they're planting the seeds for something. And yeah. 
I don't see why not. Like, if Goldberg is wa- wanting to do stuff, and I'm the WWE in my current state, absolutely I'm opening the doors for this guy if he wants to do anything. Oh, 100%. And, I, and listen, I, again, the fact that it's going to be Dolph Ziggler suggests to me that this is not going to be a long match. This will be Goldberg doing his big entrance, coming in, uh, jackhammer, spear, whatever, spear, jackhammers, whatever you order you want to do it, and then that's it. And that's all the people want, really. Listen, the idea, you, you've brought up a great idea. Goldberg coming back, and he kills Ziggler, and then he comes back on Fox, and you just put Goldberg on for a couple weeks of just killing guys. I think people would tune in just for Goldberg squashes for a few weeks on Fox. Definitely. I agree. Um, There's a now, shelf life to it. I understand yeah, is that. Is it but sustainable, and how do you give that value to somebody else? I think it, it can build up to a match of, of some value at the end of it. I'm not talking about, you know, big guys that he's killing, but just Goldberg doing the entrance. It's got a nostalgia to it. Um, I, I think it could be something that you could use on Fox, do quick matches. It This guy is ready made for the new format of how they do television matches. Yeah. I mean, with Fox, it's, it's all hands on deck. And um, I certainly expect to see a face like his, if not for October, then maybe for the next Saudi show for sure. Um, yeah. Like a bunch of, I think periods where I could see him making an appearance. I, I definitely feel like there's mileage in Bill Goldberg. So I, I'm totally fine with them going this direction and, and they need stuff like this. They absolutely need stuff like this. Um, so Ziggler continues his promo. He said that when Sean came back last year, he broke Ziggler's heart and said, in so- he didn't he didn't say Saudi Arabia, but in Saudi Arabia, you were embarrassing. And Sean responds, I'm not going to disagree with you. It was embarrassing. But what's more embarrassing is working your whole career and still left with nothing other than being known as a second rate Sean Michaels wannabe. And z- uh, for, yeah. first of all, the line about this, I mean, Sean, clearly not. <laughs> Not backing down from this either. Uh, the oh, regrettable po- match that, yeah, I guess it was part part of this. It was a good line to bring up. A public omission, I think, as close as as one as as you could get on live WWE TV about a match sucking. Uh, I suppose you know the <laughs> between God, the Goldberg- it's Sh- Sean and Goldberg. Yeah. I mean that that's where you go to have shitty final matches of your career that you want some redemption on. Certainly between the Goldberg and the Sean Sean Michaels disses in this uh, segment, it's like they're really telling the truth about the quality of the of these Saudi Arabia shows in a, in this promo segment. But um, it was interesting and I think a good way to like you know have Sean uh show some um you know um uh uh um what do you call it like. Humility. Humility, sure. Humility, um, you know, weakness, and uh, makes you want to see Shawn Michaels eventually get his redemption somehow. Um, I certainly appreciate this wannabe reference a bit more than the Seth Rollins wannabe (laughs) reference. I feel like this was an instance where calling someone a wannabe actually makes sense with Shawn calling Dolph one rather than Ziggler calling, or sorry, Rollins calling Brock one. I don't know what they were thinking with that, but um, this was... A cool interaction, I thought. Ziggler ended the promo by saying the only second-rate Shawn Michaels out here is the one he's looking at. And he comes out here, waves like an idiot on a parade float, and kisses ass. And Miz yells down at Ziggler, complains about 
how he complains all the time. And in this company, you make it you. And he challenges Ziggler to do something, which led to a chance of do something. And Ziggler goes to hit Miz, or sorry, he misses Sean, takes out Miz, and then uh, knocks down Ziggler to go check on Miz and ends with Ziggler laying out Sean with a super kick. So we have a number of pieces here. We Ziggler's got-, got some huge matches lined up here. Well, we got Ziggler and Miz, which they teased last week. And I mean, at the end of the segment last week, I I did not think that there was any possible thing they could do in the world to make me interested in a Ziggler versus Miz match. But here we see that Shawn Michaels now is going to be involved in this feud somehow. How do you think the pieces are going to ultimately play out in, in the form of a match? What is Shawn's involvement? I definitely do not see Shawn wrestling. Uh, even though that would be, if you just watched this cold, you would absolutely think Ziggler's wrestling Shawn Michaels. Um, yeah, the Goldberg thing is like this weird curveball in the midst of all of this. I think that's coming um, later. I don't expect that for SummerSlam. Well, maybe maybe they hold off on that then. Uh, if, if that's the case, then yeah, it feels like Ziggler and Miz. But um, what's Shawn's judgment? Shawn's, I don't know. At is this a one-week his... thing? I don't know either. But, I, you know, I, Ziggler has always been compared to Shawn Michaels, as they mentioned. So I think Ziggler versus Michaels is somewhat of a dream match. But if you can't get that match, instead we might... You get The Miz. Well, we get Ziggler versus The Miz maybe with Shawn as a special guest referee. Is that enticing? No, not really. <laughs> I mean, Ziggler's big thing is now, like, going after these legends. So it almost seems like that... It's where this has to uh, get to. Um, it, it's very confusing. Like, you have these left feet. Like, Miz doesn't really necessarily fit into this story uh, if you're doing Ziggler versus the Legends. Uh, Goldberg is kind of just this random element to all of this. I mean, the natural match is Ziggler-Michaels, which I think everyone's 100% is not happening. Is he focusing on Legends, though, besides, like, Goldberg and, and Sean? Sean? I mean, that's yeah. that's that's kind of his thing here. It's like running... That, that was the whole premise of his promo here right yeah um i i i mean i kind of see it less as like him chasing down legends in general and maybe more just these particular ones and instead it's like the miz coming to sean's defense and so um you know maybe having that match with sean around in the periphery somehow i i will say if sean is attached to it um at least it makes this a bit more interesting Next up was Charlotte Fla- Oh, After this segment where Sean's all laid out, Tom Phillips had to like segue by plugging the upcoming Whopper combo deals at Burger King. And it was just like <laughs> the most unnatural segue from this like semi-serious angle that they did with Shawn Michaels, the legend getting laid out. I wish it was like something more relevant that Sean could actually uh. use. Uh, the $4, $5, and $6 combo pack coming out. So there you go. All right. Uh, next up was Charlotte Flair versus Ember Moon. They had no time for entrances. Within 30 seconds, Bailey's music played, and you won't believe what happened. Charlotte was so distracted. She got rolled up in 46 seconds. And, yeah. you know, they they aren't very... Um... Like, they're pretty protective of Charlotte, and they don't just have her, like, lose to anybody off of a distraction finish like this in, what, like less than a minute? So they're definitely putting a lot behind Ember 
and they're also I mean, they are building Charlotte, obviously, up for something big that we'll get to later on in the show. But I, I wasn't a big fan of this. I, I don't. I, I think that Charlotte is not the person that should be losing in the in this fashion in 46 seconds. Um, I just that's not how I would be handling Charlotte here. Well, I mean, I took it to to mean that she will be involved in this match. Oh, I don't think that's what they're doing. But we'll, we'll get to that okay. um, because there's a promo later. Ember then sends Bailey into the ring and she gets attacked and then it allows Ember to climb to the top, nails Moon with the eclipse and then or sorry, Moon hits Charlotte with the eclipse and then she delivers the eclipse to Bailey. So it's Ember Moon standing tall over all of them and that part was good. Like Ember needed this. Uh I don't think most see her at Bailey and Charlotte's level. So um you know, to go against my own point of how Charlotte was handled here, I mean, there was the the value here of really placing Ember Moon uh, strong going into this match. That, to me, seemed to be the focus of this entire segment and maybe this entire feud, because Ember is certainly the one who needs elevating the most. Having her not only beat up Charlotte, but also Bailey, the champion, um, makes her look strong. Roman Reigns was just shown backstage adjusting a glove, and then Kofi Kingston came out. Um, this was when uh, Phillips, Michael Cole, and Otunga are on camera, and they mentioned the passing of Byron Saxon's father. And I just thought this was like a really nice moment to take a minute out just to mention this. Yes, absolutely. Kofi got into the ring, and he issues his challenge for SummerSlam. He wants to challenge Randy Orton. And Orton comes out, and they did what I think everyone wanted them to do. Kingston brought up what prior to this year was the highest point he had reached in WWE. They showed the no, uh, the clip from November 16th of 2009 at Madison Square Garden, almost 10 years ago, which was when Kofi uh, beat up Randy Orton, and they just showed this clip of him hitting a boom drop off a balcony, putting Orton through a table. And uh, this this was certainly like the highest Kofi had gotten up until that point in his career. And... For years and years, that was what everyone went back to was that night on Raw at Madison Square Garden. This was not some uh, convoluted highlight that they're trying to oversell here. This was really the case where people thought, man, this is going to get Kofi to break through to the next level. I love it. I love it. I'm such a sucker for any time they use old footage to tell a current story because it is visual proof that these two have had a very long history together and that this grudge has been building for almost a decade now. By the way, it's amazing that even that footage was HD. So we were already in the HD era even back then. But man, 10 yes. years. Um, uh, it, it adds so much depth to this story. So they show the clip and Kofi says it was the moment he was supposed to make it into the main event scene. But that's not what happened. Orton, you locker room politician motherfucker, used your influence to hold me back and never reach the main event scene again. But I kept grinding I found the power of positivity and became what Orton never wanted him to become, the WWE champion. Orton responded, I did use my influence. You weren't ready back then. You're not ready now. Which I guess means that Orton's influence has greatly waned over the past 10 years. Well, I suppose Kofi's not the main, like he's he's not the in the main event segment of the show. Maybe Orton, that's, maybe Orton's pushing Kevin Owens. <laughs> That's uh, who's got his ear right now. Yeah. He said the title win was a fluke. He has been on top for 18 years, and he didn't have to work hard a day in his life. All he had to do was be Randy Orton, 
He didn't have a fake Jamaican accent. He doesn't have to throw pancakes or shake his ass. He just wins matches. He wins titles. He wins Royal Rumbles. And he headlines WrestleManias. And he's the reason Kofi is champion. Because he injured Ali before Elimination Chamber. And Kofi got his place. And the challenge is accepted. Who the hell wrote this? Where Where is this deep, sensical logic coming from on my WWE main roster programming? Like, this was completely unlike the typical superficial matchmaking that I think we've been seeing lately. This was something that was ingrained in a 10-year-long build that felt very real. I think certainly plays on um, maybe some of the narrative that the audience has created over time of uh, why Kofi Kingston never fully got his due after that program. Um, certainly fanning those flames. And even like bringing up Orton, injuring Ali, resorting, uh, turning turning into the reason why Kofi got in and took his place in the first place. That was even a point that I didn't even remember. So they were like really brilliant, I thought, with where all the little strings that they were uh, able to draw from to make this sound like a very deep, complex kind of cohesive storyline between these two. Yeah, it was um... – what I think had happened was that the his last TV match was against Randy Orton. And I think all he did do, like where he actually got hurt was on the house shows that weekend. But the house shows don't count. So this is... In story, though, this was... In story, the yeah. last time you would have seen him was against Randy Orton on TV. And this company has made a living out of house shows not existing. So this ties in. It's um, I thought it was great. It's like um, it helps the main event. And Orton, with his delivery, I mean, the man has, like, poison confidence that feels completely unmatched, uh, save for a few elite performers in this roster. And it was on full display here. He he came across incredible. He did a great job positioning himself as a major threat, the biggest threat to Kofi Kingston's title thus far. And Kofi badly needs an opponent of Orton's level to compete against and hopefully to beat. I, I like this a lot. It was, um, you know, it, it never went into that that silly Vince Russo territory that oh, wrestling's fake and this guy is like not allowing you to get to a main event level. They did it in a storyline way. And in sports, this happens. Yes, like, this, like a captain of a team might, you know, prevent a trade from happening so that this other guy doesn't get in or whatever. Like this, it it, it you could buy it as a real sporting comment. I liked it, and I think it's the kind of feud Kofi needs. They have the history to draw upon, and I think it should be hopefully a really good match at SummerSlam as well. What they've done so far has definitely got me hooked. Um, again, Kofi, I think, needs a big win over an established star in order to really solidify and really increase the momentum of this current uh, title ch- championship run that you know has honestly has been f- great to see, but has been a little underwhelming in the in-ring department, so... Uh, I'm hoping for a great performance from both men, because certainly the story is there. Then Samoa Joe just storms out. He passes by Randy Orton and confronts Kofi Kingston, and a match begins after the break. And when we come back from break, Randy Orton, who was shown leaving, going to the back, was now seated ringside. He teleported. He No, he he turned around um, as Joe was making his way out and decided to okay. come back. Yeah. So he's seated ringside. Um, Joe was in control early on. He got sent to the floor. Kingston dove onto him, got hit with a Uranagi out of the corner, 
Kingston then leaps off the top with a chop when Orton runs in and goes for the RKO but gets stopped. Uh, the DQ is called, and as they're all standing, uh, Joe comes from behind Randy and ends up eating an RKO, allowing Kofi to hit Orton with the Trouble in Paradise to end the segment. The moment Samoa Joe walked his way into the segment, like a very heated segment that already existed between Randy Orton and Kofi Kingston, the the title match at SummerSlam. I already knew what was in for Samoa Joe. Joe, run, you're fucked. <laughs> I think everybody knew what was in for Samoa Joe. The man has not had a great um, few weeks of, of booking, I would say, in the WWE. He knocks it out of the park every single time. He he has a chance to cut a promo, perform in ring, but man, the dude is just playing fall guy to everybody this month. Taking he's in pins. the worst. He's in the worst role where they clearly have confidence in him with in any situation with these guys but they don't have the belief that he is ever the guy he is the setup guy and it's oh man like, it's unfortunate he just gets beaten like a drum and i i feel that this is just going to be like they, they clearly value him to a degree just not to a degree that puts him into that upper echelon if somebody told me like they're going for a daniel bryan push with him like they're just going to drop him out until the audience starts clamoring for joe i would certainly believe you because like he's losing that much and in un- unnecessary situations like this so I don't know what there is, uh, what their plans are for him. Certainly doesn't feel like he has anything going on at SummerSlam. The Roman thing's not happening. That he he beat him like it's, it's like five minutes on Monday. Um, but that said, I thought they did a very good job with Orton and Kofi. It's a simple but serious build, completely grounded in history and the present. So on Tuesday, WWE.com puts up their SmackDown preview, and they have like their five bullet points of whatever's announced for the show. And one of the points was. Will Daniel Bryan make his announcement? Oh, and yeah. I, I totally forgot about that. That was on the SmackDown preview today. And obviously not. Like, I don't know what's going on there. See, last week's show and this week's show seem to be like be quite disjointed in many ways. We have the Ali thing that with Nakamura that didn't get followed up on. The Kabuki Warriors felt like they were still in the midst of that program with the Iconics. Not, no follow-up from either. Instead, we're, we're getting a new feud with the Iconics and uh, Mandy Rose and Tony Deville now. A title match to get a title match. Well, it's the same thing that, that the Kabuki Warriors went through, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. Uh, there was a lot of disjointedness from week to week, uh, especially on SmackDown. And the Daniel Bryan thing was very it, like Daniel Bryan wasn't even brought up on this show. Yeah, and last week's SmackDown rating was really good. Um, and I think there's still maybe some debate as to what reason that was. But certainly, I feel the biggest thing going into last week's edition of SmackDown was the tease of a Daniel Bryan announcement. The fact that they didn't even, you know, Try to follow up on it. It was certainly interesting. Finn Balor came out and Kayla just hurried into the ring because she had to interview him. Uh, so she reminds Finn that he lost the IC title and got destroyed by Bray Wyatt last week. Thank you, Kayla. I'd forgotten. And he is not sure why Bray is after him. He's had a history with Bray, but he is done with these puppets and the attack on Mick Foley. And Bray is more twisted and messed up than ever. He won't back down, and he challenges Bray Wyatt to a match at SummerSlam. So on the screen begins a Firefly Funhouse segment. And Bray Wyatt appears and says that Balor is so brave, but The Fiend is not a fan. And he accepts the challenge and says The Fiend is no man, but an abomination with power. And he remembers as this creepy music starts to play. And Bray says, let me in as it cuts to black. And then 
the fiend appears with his mask and he says, let me in. Uh, so this sets up another match for SummerSlam with Bray Wyatt as the fiend against Finn Balor, the man. That's right. Yeah. You know, we had wondered how they would incorporate the Firefly Funhouse segment into a live setting. And this was it. You know, the Funhouse segments are pre-taped and shown on the Titantron. And essentially, they take the place of the old Bray Wyatt, you know, uh, dark room promos. Instead of those, we're getting these very colorful, uh, way more interesting Funhouse segments. And The Fiend has taken the place of the in-ring character. So Funhouse exists on screen. The Fiend exists in ring. I love it. It's a simple separation between the two, and I think it'll be very effective. They've done it. They've they've remade Bray Wyatt. I think he should just steamroll Finn and beat him yeah. with the mandible claw. Like I think that should be. He shouldn't. He Finn, should... Finn puts up a minimal bit of a fight and loses quickly. He shouldn't just like steamroll him. Like he should like lay him out so that he can go on this vacation for several months. You know, it's it should be a huge angle to get this Bray Wyatt fiend thing over. Um, they recapped. Yeah. Uh, sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to say like, man, Bray or, or, or Finn in this like interview, I know it wasn't much of an interview. He didn't really have that much to say. He really just kind of had to sell for Bray, but man, like there's just something missing with, with Finn Balor. Like even when he turns into the demon, I just, um, it's a cool look, but man, like he's never been able to grab me as a promo. They recapped all the 24-7 title changes at Raw. And then Sarah Schreiber was with Charlotte Flair, who had requested this time. And she's pissed that she has been left off of SummerSlam. It's a slap in the face. And Bailey choosing Ember Moon was a slap in the face. She says she is responsible for the women's evolution. She is the queen of all eras. And she will be at SummerSlam and demands to be at SummerSlam and says that her opponent will be better than Ember Moon, and Charlotte will prove she is the greatest superstar of all time. Now, I don't know about you, Way. I thought this was clear that it's going to be Charlotte and Trish Stratus. Oh, interesting. Wow. That's what I took from this. Yeah, I guess I missed the line about her uh, saying that her opponent will be better than Ember Moon, so that does say suggest that she'll be in a different match. But um, Between that line and the queen of all eras, yeah. and the fact Tr- Trish was not there noticeably at the Raw reunion, yeah, it's in Toronto. I just think like that's obviously got to be the big plan for Charlotte at SummerSlam, and I think it's a great idea. I think it's a great idea, too. I love it. Um, now, I guess the only story is, like, why did Charlotte request the match? Yes, she said that she, well, she made it seem here that it was, uh, she didn't actually say if she was. uh, I guess next week she'll make the official challenge. I think so. And I kind of like what they've been doing where it's not like the GMs have been getting involved or the McMahons or anything like that. It's people are just challenging other people. And Mm -hmm. that's kind of been consistent throughout this. Yeah. Yeah. I like that match a lot. It's a, it's certainly a, a worthy semi-main event level type of match for a Toronto SummerSlam. I just can't imagine it being anything other than than that match, and I think it's a great match to do in Toronto. I'm trying to think what other queens there might have been. Um, queen of all eras. Uh, Not many come to the mind. Que- the Queen Bee, Madison Rain, maybe Impact will loan mm. her out too, like mm. Rob Van Dam. Uh, no, I, I think if, if if they're doing Charlotte and Trish, I think that's that's a tremendous idea. That's great. 
Shane McMahon comes out as the ring announcer, and he introduces Elias as the guest timekeeper, Drew's the referee. Cole is comparing Shane to Howard Finkel. By the time they did five entrances, a commercial, then Shane had to do the introductions for Roman and Kevin Owens as they were in the ring. By the time all this shit was done, we had less than six minutes left in the show. And this is where I've gotten to the conclusion that in this new format, the idea of hoping for great matches is pretty much out the window on WWE programming. Like, you are not getting great TV matches anymore. And I don't know. You can certainly debate if that is the best idea or not. But that's clearly what's happening now because they just – they're not going to allow the time. So you are not going to be getting a certain level of quality on your TV matches. Yeah, yeah. I – uh. In certain cases, I, I really am disappointed that we no longer get this because even something like uh, AJ versus Seth Rollins from last night. By the way, um, should we mention uh, Dave Meltzer on his radio show said that that whole thing with DX originally was intended to be for Ricochet. Right. In in Seth Rollins' place. So anyway. Just Which the, certainly uh, makes sense when you think about it, like how they've been grooming Ricochet and he would have been way better in that role to benefit from something like that versus Seth who's kind of already yeah. made. You know what I mean? So – that totally makes sense. I, Dave cited a elbow infection that Ricochet is dealing with, so he was not cleared to be on the show. But, you know, in an instance like that, in a match where I, that I'm really looking forward to, not getting uh, more than, what, two, three, four minutes of it is certainly disappointing. At the same time, it gives you something to look forward to at a pay-per-view. Um, and also, it doesn't mean that we are completely... Like, they can have hot matches on TV if they want to, like we saw last week with Aleister Black and, and Cesaro. Um, it's just that this week, I guess they didn't have time for it. So this was though Roman Reigns versus like Kevin Owens in a main event. I wasn't really expecting much more than what we had here. Just a lot of like um, taking your time with these entrances, stalling and stalling and stalling so that you can fill up this commercial break, uh, fill up this segment before you go to commercial break. I was at least maybe a little surprised that even coming out of break, they continue to stall. But seeing the way this whole thing ended up playing out, I think they never intended on having a match anyway. It was supposed to be the baby faces ending up working together. Yeah. I, I go back to, you know, it was around a decade or so ago with, with impact when if you just watch their show, which is how most people consumed impact at the time. Like if you just watch their TV show every week, it was a lot of matches that it was bullshit finishes. The, the great talent, they never got time. Everything was short. And over time you start wondering like, do 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 regular fans realize like are they going to house shows or buying these pay-per-views when this is what you're promoting to people it's like do i really want three hours of this that you kind of lose track of the talent that you have on your roster when you're just seeing bullshit matches every week and i'm not saying wwe is there but i think it's something to concern yourself with as well that if you're going to be presenting these matches um is that necessarily going to push people to be checking out house shows or pay-per-views when this is kind of your your commercial for more. Now, was that ever a deterrent in the past? When, I mean, like, early Raws, Attitude Era Raws, they were very much of this style. I think it's a different time period now. There's a higher premium now on great wrestling that, you know, I, I think that people can watch and they realize this is a great roster and you typically know what you're getting with the pay-per-views. But I just think like this is going to wear thin on people that are watching mm-hmm. five hours a week of Raw and SmackDown, and you've got this great roster, but are people going to respond to it as 
great a great roster when you're you know they're they're handcuffed they're, like there was no way that Reigns and Owens were going to have a great match here in about 3 minutes time they got tops i will say i certainly feel like you know at least on one episode um like maybe once an hour i think a hot match is is per- like almost expected you know if you can give me a good main event you can cram in the top of the hour of both hours uh or all 3 hours on an episode of raw can fill the rest of that time with like the most gimmicky shit like you know two minute matches one minute matches i don't care backstage segment as long as you promise like a good hot 10 minute match at the end of the top of the hour i think we'd all be pretty satisfied don't you think i think so i i think that there should be and it's only the company itself that is policing themselves with this this insane commercial break edict that they've installed themselves it's not like they are at the mercy of the network to do this it's their own choosing, and I feel like there could be one week of TV where all of a sudden uh, they flip the switch again. So um, this match did not go long. Drew got in the way of them, reprimanding them, and then Reigns nailed Drew, sent him to the floor. Owens struck Elias. They went after Shane. Elias dropped Owens with a flying knee. They had the numbers advantage, and then they held up Reigns for a Shane McMahon spear after he delivered his garbage punches. And Owens pulled Shane to the floor, uh, and then led to him super kicking Drew and Elias. Reigns eventually speared Drew. They hit a stunner onto Elias. And then Shane is hit with the Superman punch. And Owens hits him with two stunners. And it's Owens that gets his music played and gets the big hero spot in the ring as Reigns kind of steps aside. And they really put over Owens. He claims he's going to beat Shane at SummerSlam. And that's how the show ended with the focus on Owens more so than Roman Reigns. Yeah, uh, I mean, Reigns even just leaving center stage to allow Owens to really soak up the spotlight. They played Owens' music at the end of the show. It feels like he is the top babyface at the moment, ahead of Reigns, ahead of Kofi, even, at least on this episode of, of the show. And I can't say it's not working. I think Owens is definitely connecting with the audience. He really, arguably, perhaps needs this push more than either Reigns or Kofi. Uh, and I think this feud with Shane is working well. I think Shane's been great. Like to me, he's such an entertaining heel in in just like all the best ways. Um, if you're watching this segment expecting a match, you certainly would have been ex- disappointed. But I think to me, the actual match was the back and forth between the two baby faces and the three heels, which I thought they did a great job of going, you know, uh, back and forth. Ultimately, ending up with the spear and the stunner. Yeah, I, I could have gone without Shane taking the stunners here. I think they should really build up to Owens getting his hands on him. Um, but it was like yeah. this big moment for Owens and they are trying to give him as much as possible right now. And it's um, also just like, I mean, I think they're really following like McMahon Austin to a T with like Vince at the end of every episode, taking a stunner, you know? So the lineup now for SummerSlam is Brock Lesnar versus Seth Rollins, Kofi Kingston versus Orton, Becky and Natalia, Bailey versus Ember Moon, Shane McMahon versus Kevin Owens, Finn Balor versus Bray Wyatt, and Charlotte versus TBA. Uh, I think an interesting looking card. You know, it seems like a lot of these programs are peaking to be uh, the biggest programs for a lot of these characters uh, since WrestleMania, as SummerSlam should be. So um, I'm... I I think the card's in good shape. I like this episode of SmackDown, you know, for maybe all my criticisms of it due to its inconsistencies from last week's. I still felt like they had a great deal of fort momentum heading towards SummerSlam. They're doing well with o- Owens. They did excellent with Kofi and Orton. 
Uh, even Balor and Bray is interesting because Bray has been so interesting. And I'm even interested in seeing what Shawn Michaels' involvement might be in, in Miz and Ziggler. All right, that was uh, SmackDown from Tuesday night. Uh, we'll head on over to the forum and see what everybody had to say about uh, this particular edition, the uh, the hangover after the Raw reunion, and uh, probably a few people at the Raw reunion who had hangovers today. Scale of 1 to 10, the forum voted a 6.47, a very respectable rating. Yeah, in line with like um, past SmackDowns of last year. Paul from New Jersey starts us off. This show was better than that utter dumpster fire last night. I like the storytelling for Orton and Kofi. They added depth tonight, much like they did with Becky and Natalia. Xavier Woods and Biggie were hilarious, and HBK sounded good. Enjoyed Bray again. The handling of this character has been top-notch so far. Xavier and Biggie pulling for Owens, yet saying they don't like him is a nice touch. If the three of them were buddy-buddy, it would be stupid. I get so excited when things make basic sense with this company. What's up with that one-minute women's match? Seemed like they were advertising it pretty hard. And what the heck was Mandy trying to say? Something about the Iconics and Kevin Owens? Not her best. I, I don't even know how she started this promo because oh. she had, I, I didn't yeah. even try and make I, sense of the first half because the second half was more confusing. <laughs> I don't know what the setup was at the beginning either. It was This was terrible. It was, it was a terrible, terrible promo. It was incredibly convoluted. I think what she was trying to say was that she reported to Shane that she had overheard the Iconics gossip about Shane with Kevin Owens. What? Yeah. Oh, okay. Whatever. Anyway. Jalen from Pickering, a Samoan top guy and a white guy delivering a stunner to an evil McMahon. I feel like we've seen this before. That kind of booking combined with the Raw reunion has made these current guys look terrible. Also, the women have been getting super shafted lately. It's sad to see. Randy and Kofi should be great, though. Off to a good start as Randy continues to do some of the best promos of his career as the grizzled veteran. Jay from Colorado, definitely a better show than last night. Not really much to say about it, though, aside from the fact that they are using Bray Wyatt perfectly. I love that the children's, the children's host, Bray Wyatt, is still part of this equation, and I'm looking forward to SummerSlam because of it. Shane is far from the best in the world, but damn, this dude is still one of the best at selling the stunner. He's just so majestic. I just saw the- this week a lot better than last. Yes. Uh, yeah, yeah, that one was brutal last week. Uh, he mentions Dark Side of the Ring. Uh Anything on your list, your wish list in terms of topics? Mm, honestly, like the episodes I enjoyed the most were topics that I didn't know a whole lot about. So I look forward to seeing what, what they uncover. Yeah, I mean, you're probably going to get, you know, looks into, you know, any kind of dark stories of wrestling past. I could see them going into the steroid trial. That could possibly mm. be a subject that comes up. Um, Benoit Owen. Maybe all, all of that stuff. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and it's going to come down to participation that they have in terms of interview subjects. I mean, that's going to be key to all of this of what, of what they choose. Right. Yeah. Uh, okay. We go to Andrew from Cape Breton who says, when it comes to how Samoa Joe is being booked, I'm trying to look at it from a more optimistic light. He reminds me of Minoru Suzuki. Minoru may not have the best record of someone in New Japan, but he's always seen as a threat and badass despite taking losses. As you guys discussed yesterday, Joe can take whatever dialogue he's given and make it work, and it helps keeping him strong and menacing. My fear is they will beat him like Dolph Ziggler, but Ziggler just doesn't have the delivery or the demeanor of Samoa Joe. I also kind of like the tease of Shawn Michaels maybe wrestling again. He looks to be in good shape, and unlike the Saudi Arabia mess, I think he can work with guys every once in a while that can make him look good, as he's athletic enough to still hold up his end. The show was okay tonight, six women's tag team title matches that will give... 
a people a chance at a tag title shot out of ten. <laughs> uh, uh, he's you know like his description of of uh, Samoa Joe is I mean I think the type of description you could apply to a number of people including their giants and Kane and the Big Show people that can absorb losses but ultimately always be put into a main event slot at any time given their size. I don't know if Joe is at that level yet. I don't know if Joe is physically that much bigger than other people so that you, you know, he's not a Braun Strowman type of size that you can automatically accept him as a main event. Um, I certainly can, but I just don't feel like he's built up that great of a track record yet in terms of wins wins and losses in the WWE to establish him at that level. I think it's his promos that are going to be his saving grace um, because I, I think that that's ultimately a great tool that he has that can... Uh, pivot him into certain programs, but you know, it's fans latch onto those continued patterns. And when they kind of give up on a guy and I'm not saying Joe's at that point yet, but that's when, when people start to see you in that utility role, it's, it's very hard to break out of that. I think, I think even Kofi has experienced some of that, that you have a, an entire generation of an audience that saw him at a level. And now, now all of a sudden you're moving him up with warp speed uh, as a main eventer. And, not everyone sees him as that number one guy. So Joe maybe just needs to wait about like eight, nine more years. That's it. Like, come on, a little patience. Hmm. Brian from New York. If WWE is going to go promo heavy for their shows, I thought tonight was a good example of what it can be. Both Kevin Owens and Shane and Kofi and Orton were able to lean in on a bit of history to enhance their stories. Unlike yesterday, they were able to use a legend to actually enhance current stars and saw Michaels give some life to an otherwise pulseless Miz and Ziggler story. Ali got a unique segment to tell more of his underdog story, and we saw a popular step in the right direction with the Wyatt character having multiple faces to it. Very satisfied with how many stories they spent time moving forward and even with the shorter amount of wrestling on the show and time dedicated to Nakamura and Cruz. Thumbs up show. Who do you think Charlotte is facing at SummerSlam? Seems like the obvious choice in Toronto is Trish. And that's what I was, that, that was my conclusion after that promo. Or uh, in Toronto. I can't even think of a joke. Like there's really no one else. Santina, of course. She Didn't she have a crown? Maybe it could be Aaliyah from NXT. Yes. We go to Anthony who says it's been over an hour and that Orton promo still has me in chills. His delivery is the reason why he is still one of the best performers in the company right now. Some would say that Orton made Kofi look weak, but it was the exact opposite as he told the actual facts while being a smug bastard about it. That's how a heel should be. This is one match that I'm now excited to see in two weeks and some change. Go to Adam. The New Day on commentary was a delight. Their references to past encounters with different people, such as not liking what Owens did, but Kofi still wanting to see him beat up Shane, mentioning they faced Shinsuke before, made this episode feel more than something that was written after dinner time on the East Coast. Chris from Pennsylvania. Just dropping in to give my two cents on the ba- Balor-Brave feud. I hope Finn shows up at SummerSlam as the demon and Bray pins him clean. Bray's biggest problem before was that he talked a big game and then either lost every feud or went 50-50 in it. Instead of having him beat Balor now, just to lose to the Demon in a couple of months, give Bray a meaningful win over the Demon and really get behind him with this rebranded character. What do you think? I I don't like that. I I think he should just beat Finn straight up, and it gives Finn something to come back as uh, down the road. And when's down the road? Because inevitably, whenever uh, Finn will come back, you would expect his first opponent to be... 
Bray Wyatt. And at that point, you would expect him to come back as a demon. And at that point, would Bray Wyatt beat the demon? Would it be too early for him to lose to the demon? Not necessarily. I'm not opposed to beating him as the demon character. Um, I, I wouldn't do it, though, on on this. Right. With a couple weeks to build this up. When... Um, I I just, I just don't like it for the, for this one for Bray's first opponent and for Finn to go out on that note. He's he's kind of, like you kind of outlined like he's somewhat struggling and to take that away from him as well now uh, wouldn't be my choice. I agree. Um, your turn or mine? Uh, last one here is Mike from Minnesota. Good show tonight. I really love having Michaels in the Miz and Ziggler feud. Much needed. Orton showed us once again why he will go down as one of the best of all time. With Owens getting the best of Shane every week, I really fear that Shane will beat him at SummerSlam. I know I'm in the minority, but I thought the New Day was annoying on commentary. My question is, Vin- is Vince down on the women right now? Two shows, about 75 seconds worth of matches. I wouldn't use this week as a great barometer of what they're allocating match time towards. Everyone's match time is down across the board. And SmackDown, we see this every week where there are people that are totally forgotten about. I mean, it's not like uh, Vince McMahon has any more of a of a vendetta against women than he does Daniel Bryan this week. It's mm-hmm. like that's always going to happen on SmackDown. And this week's Raw reunion, like there was everything was throwaway wrestling matches on there. So I really wouldn't read too much into that. Um, are they being pushed as they were going into WrestleMania? No, they haven't been. Um, but you also are also missing Ronda Rousey. You know, you, you, the 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 centerpiece of that division is also gone. What you're left with are feuds between Becky Lynch and Natalia, which um might be the best at the division on the Ross I could do right now, but hardly something that I would consider on the level of you know some of the 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 segments that deserve a bit more priority. You know, on the other end is. Bailey and Ember Moon, like we're talking two mid card programs right, right there. And if they in fact go ahead and you have you know Trish and and Charlotte, that'll be a really big promoted match for SummerSlam. That becomes one of the bigger matches at SummerSlam, above the two title matches for sure. Yes, I agree. I agree. It's a bigger match than either of the title matches, respectively. All right. Well, that will bring a close to rewind to SmackDown. But fear not, Way and I will be back on Wednesday, a free edition of our G One Climax. Uh, chatting about the card from Hiroshima. Are you all set to dive right back into the G1? I'm I'm kind of ready now. I've had this this break, so oh, this I'm, break I'm has been good amazing. to welcome it on. This break has been awesome. I'm I'm very excited to to see some B block action. Uh, expect that one Wednesday evening. Yes, I am. Uh, I have a plan to try and uh, watch it super early, but I don't know if that plan is going to play out. So yeah. Wednesday evening slash. Early Thursday morning for the majority of you. All right. So that is going to wrap things up, everybody. Uh, Thank you for listening. As always, you can go to postwrestling.com, postwrestlingcafe.com, and we will speak with you Wednesday.